Our first reading from God's word is from the letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord.
Amen. Thank you, choir. This is one of those Sundays where we have a New Testament reading as our first reading from God's Word and an Old Testament or Hebrew Bible reading as our second. And the words from the prophet Jeremiah in our second reading this morning um, were first written down and spoken publicly sometime in the decade after 597 BCE. After that year when the great empire of Babylon had defeated the Judean king and the people of Judah in uh, just outside of the city of Jerusalem, had invaded Jerusalem and carted off almost every one of the last religious and intellectual leaders of Jerusalem and Judean society back to Babylon as prisoners in exile. And so about six centuries before the time of Jesus, these words would have been transmitted from Jeremiah, who's one of the few people still back in Jerusalem, uh, by royal emissary, the entire 1,678.2 miles, which I'm sure you already know, between Jerusalem and Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, to the leaders of his fellow Judeans who were being held captive. Now, 10 years later, in 587, Babylon finally came in and completely destroyed Jerusalem, raised it to the ground, and there were no more people left there, really. Uh, But this text comes to us in that early period when there was still a remnant, including the prophet Jeremiah himself, and he says these words to his exiled sisters and brothers. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare, and the Hebrew word here is shalom, also means peace. Seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, in its shalom, you will find your shalom. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise And bring you back to this place, back to Jerusalem. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations And all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together this Sunday morning be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
This message from the prophet Jeremiah to his fellow Judeans who are in prison, in exile, is a very strange message. When you think about it, which we're going to do, they are powerful words, but they are counterintuitive words. He says to these people who are in a place where they do not want to be, where they would like to leave, build houses, plant gardens, marry off your children, have grandchildren, settle in, dig in. And it is probably not a message that the exiles wanted to hear. They'd like this nightmare to be over. They want to do what most of us would do in their situation. Whenever we're in a bad situation, like a pandemic, for example, they'd like to get out of it, to get it over with as soon as possible. They want to get out. Jeremiah says, stay there. Dig in. There's a great scene in one of my favorite comfort films. It's a 1996 film starring John Travolta called Phenomenon. I don't know if you've seen it. It also stars Forrest Whitaker and Kira Sedgwick and Robert Duvall. It's really a great, beautiful movie. In Phenomenon, John Travolta plays a car mechanic who, just an average nice guy who after his 37th birthday party in this little town in Northern California, he leaves the party and as he's going out to his car, he sees a flash of light that no one else sees. And for the rest of the film, this guy has supernatural, intellectual, and even telekinetic powers. He, read, he can't sleep. He reads three books a night. He learns languages in 30 minutes. And he can even move objects if he concentrates hard enough. And of course, the film is about how people begin to change in the way that they treat him and how everyone starts to treat John Travolta's character differently, how we all can be quite cruel to each other when we feel threatened by someone else's changes. And one of the scenes I love in this film is when Travolta's character, who for the longest time has not been able to figure out how this rabbit is getting into his fenced-in garden that he has in front of his house, and the rabbit eats all his lettuce. He plants more lettuce, gets up in the morning and sees the rabbit's eating all his lettuce again. And he can't figure it out because he sunk the fence 18 inches below ground level, it's four feet high, no rabbit's gonna dig underneath that fence and no rabbit can really hop over a four foot high fence. It's a mystery until after that mysterious flash of light and he gets some extra brain power that Travolta has the patience and the smarts to figure out that the rabbit's been inside the fence the whole time. <laughs> Trapped, trying to get out. And I think a lot of people these days, a lot of us can relate to that rabbit. We used to be inclined to want to get into things, but these days, the strong temptation is just to get out. Politics, pandemics, Commitments. It reminds me of the hotel desk clerk who was working the night shift one night. About 2 a.m., the phone rings there at the desk, and a voice asks him, what time will your lounge be open in the morning? And the night clerk said, oh, yeah, our lounge is very popular. It will open up promptly at 9 a.m. About an hour later, the phone rings again, and the voice says, what time will your lounge open up in the morning? And he said again, it opens at 9 a.m., and every hour all through the night, 
the same voice asking the same question, when will the lounge open? Same answer, 9 a.m. At 8 o'clock that morning, the day manager shows up and the night clerk reported that everything went pretty well, but I kept getting these strange crank phone calls from this weird guy who keeps wanting to know when our lounge is gonna open. Just then, the phone rings again. This time, the manager answers it and says, Look here, the night clerk tells me you've been harassing him all night long with the same question. I'm telling you, just as he's been telling you for the last time, our lounge is not open until 9 a.m. You can't get in until then. And the voice says, get in, I'm trying to get out. <laughs> the rabbit and the voice in that story aren't exceptions to the rule, they are the rule, I think. When there's trouble, when there's hardship, our first instinct is to flee, to run, to get out while the getting's good. And about 8,000 years ago, Jeremiah, God's prophet, who, by the way, was never very popular with anybody, is saying to his former friends and neighbors that getting out isn't how it's going to play out. There is hope for them. Jeremiah tells them, but they are only going to find their shalom, their peace, their welfare, if they accept the fact that it's not going to happen in the way and as quickly as they would like. This thing they're dealing with is not going to be over anytime soon. Instead, Jeremiah says the people are going to find that shalom not by just complaining and waiting passively and not by running away, not by escaping, but by planting and building and living every day, living through their time of exile, just like an addict does, one day at a time. They'll survive not by digging underneath the gates of Babylon, not by staging a coup. No, God's people are going to make it by doubling down and staying in, in this uncomfortable, uncertain place where they are. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Not really what we want to hear. This thing, this hard thing is going to end, but between now and when it does end, whenever that is, our call is to commit ourselves, the best of ourselves, to where we are and who we are. About 20 years ago, a Harvard political science professor by the name of Robert Putnam wrote a very important book in American intellectual and sociological history. The book is entitled Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone. In that book, Putnam traces the 50-year decline here in the United States of what he called, now it's a 70-year decline, what he calls a decline in in-person social interaction, like this, this morning. He traces what he sees as an unraveling of the ways we Americans used to connect and relate to each other. Putnam points out that after World War II in this country, everybody joined things. We were a nation of joiners. It's just what you did. You joined the fraternal order of the Lions Club or the Water Buffaloes or the Elks Club. You joined religious organizations like synagogues and churches like PCUM. We joined social organizations like bridge clubs and bowling leagues. People were joiners and kept joining and joining, and all those organizations and their ways of doing things like this were built on that assumption that people would just keep coming. Sanctuaries were built on that assumption. 
meeting halls, committee bylaws constructed on the firm belief that the cultural current was just going to keep depositing people at our doorstep. I, back in the day, back in when I was a kid, never bowled alone. Did you? I never had to bowl alone. That's because, like millions of other Americans, I belonged to a bowling league. My parents belonged to a bowling league. That's how I got onto it. Every Friday night, there we'd be with our matching shirts and bowling shoes and our personally engraved bowling balls. And there we were with other people week in and week out, eating and drinking and laughing and teasing each other and bowling too. In fact, one of the proudest moments of my life, and I mean this, is when at about nine years old, the captain of my parents' bowling team asked me to keep score. It's a pretty important job back in the days before automated scoring. That's when somebody had to keep score and had to be decent, at least, in math. I didn't have to bowl alone. I bowled with other people. I also didn't dance alone. Not only were we members of a bowling league, right around that same time when I was in fourth or fifth grade or so, the Horn family, and I hate to admit this, was active in a square dance troupe <laughs> called, and I kid you not, the Family Swingers. <laughs> it was a different time. Yep. Regular square dance evenings, boots and kerchiefs, trips to national competitions in Salt Lake City and Las Vegas, a chest full of ribbons and medals showing what square dance events I'd been to and how far I'd advanced in my skills, lots of alamand lefting and dosi doing, lots of bad and good country music, and a lot of fun just like at the bowling alley with people I never would have known or met otherwise. In fact, the point is, I never saw those people on the bowling team except at the bowling alley and the dancers except at square dances, but they were friends. They became part of my life and we became part of theirs. No, I didn't bowl alone. Now I do. I don't have time to bowl, to join a bowling league or a square dance troupe, even if I wanted to. Most people don't have time to join bowling leagues or fraternal organizations or churches. Whenever I get the chance, once every couple of years, I may stop off at a bowling alley and see if I still got game, which I mostly don't, and it makes me incredibly exhausted playing one game, rolling one game of uh, bowling. I still like it, but it's not the same when you bowl alone. What you're doing today, whether you're here virtually as part of this church worshiping family or here in the sanctuary, is countercultural. It is radically anti-majority. And that was before the pandemic. Now, especially when there's stress and threat, we, as all people do, tend to take care of ourselves and our own first to cut down on extraneous commitments. Not to mention, as Trace said, the impact this uh, pandemic has had on people's finances, people's sense of themselves, on their relationships, on the stability. They may have moved, lost their jobs, decided to go a different direction. We are uh, under stress and under uh, uh, uncertainty in a way that we've never been before as a church.
the numbers are down. And yet, the message to us is build houses, plant gardens, live, do what you do, stay committed, don't look for a shortcut. As Trace said, together we just each have to take a little bit more responsibility and increase our commitment a little bit more. And together, if we do that, those little extra bits will combine and we'll be able to continue to be the amazing community we've always been. We will stay and be together beyond this pandemic. Robert Putnam said in Bowling Alone, school performance, public health, crime rates, clinical depression, tax compliance, philanthropy, race relations, community development, census returns, teen suicide, economic productivity, campaign finance, even simple human happiness are all demonstrably affected by how and whether we connect with our family and friends and neighbors and co-workers and fellow members. And what really matters, he says in that book, is not merely nominal, nominal membership. What matters is active and involved membership. Not for the institution, but for your shalom and mine. May it be so. Amen.